Welcome to episode 46 of the unofficial 75 Greatest Marvels Countdown Podcast, the podcast where we discuss and examine the 75 greatest Marvel stories as chosen by Marvel readers and published by Marvel Comics itself. The countdown continues every Wednesday until June 1st, 2016. And as readers should have expected, based on what they heard a couple of weeks ago, we have back one of the most prolific guest hosts, Mr. John M. Wilson. Welcome back, John. I never left. I've been hiding behind your bookshelf. Ah. So this week we are discussing Amazing Spider-Man 700, cover dated February 2013. And this is probably the first time I've ever noticed that Mike's Amazing World of Comics actually has the wrong release date. This was released on Boxing Day of 2012. It's countdown rank number 46. It's a bit of an anthology. There's three issue or three stories in here. The first story wraps up a three-part story that started in issue 698. This one is Suicide Run, written by Dan Slott, penciled by Umberto Ramos, inked by Victor Olazaba, colored by Edgar Delgado, lettered by Chris Iliopoulos. The main editor was Steve Wacker. He had some editorial assists from Tom Brevoort and Ellie Pyle, and it came out while a- Axel Alonso was editor-in-chief. Now, that same editorial team oversaw the other two issues, which, or the other two stories, which are one-off stories, Spider Dreams by J.M. DeMatteis, penciled by Giuseppe Camancoli, inked by Sal Buscema, Kellered by Antonio Fabello, and lettered by Chris Iliopoulos. Date Night, written by Jen Van Meter, penciled, inked, and colored by Stephanie Bushima, and lettered again by Chris Iliopoulos. On Spider Dreams, we have three Italians teamed up against J.M. DiMatteis. I don't know what that says for the story, but there it is. Yeah, and then on top of that, we've got cover galleries. It includes a cover gallery with all the covers for this particular issue, because there were a number of variants, as well as the cover galleries of all issues of Amazing Spider-Man prior to this. It says its cover galleries up to 699, and it does end with issue 699, but it also includes the negative one issue from the flashback, cover dated July 1997. And the main cover is uh, essentially a close-up of one of Spider-Man's, you know, his little eye. I'm not even sure what you call him, but he's got those those mirrored teardrop-shaped things over his eyes. Eye lenses, maybe? Yeah. Uh, from the other side of the room... It looks like a close-up of his eye lens. When you are close-up, you realize the image is composed of 700 copies of Spider-Man. So it's a Spider-Man mosaic doing part of the Yeah, Spider-Man it's really a, a really neat effect. You have, it's a really neat effect. You've got all these red Spider-Man uh, making up the red portion of the mask. And it looks like these have been lifted from issues and artists and art styles from across the 50 years of history. It had to have been a hugely laborious project to do. Then the black outline of his eye, his mask eye, or whatever you want to call it, is made up of venoms. And then the white is made up of non-colored guest spots. Characters ranging from Mary Jane to Captain America, um, just a whole bunch of other people who aren't Spider-Man and the colors have been removed. It's insanely effective and awesome and cool, but I can't imagine how many hours or even days or maybe even weeks went into making this happen. Yeah, it's... It's one of those things where you look at it and it's worth it, but you wouldn't want to be the one who had to put it together. <laughs> That's probably the sort of thing that the, the uh, Wacker makes Ellie do. Yeah, most likely. And she passes it off to production. Yeah, so the the story itself, as we said, it, it started in issue 698. So we've got 698, 699, and 699.1. And even 698, the seeds for this began in issue 600. So yeah. The, the major seeds before this were issue... Uh, 600, where we learn that Doc Ock is dying, 
because his body was just not meant to be punched that hard that often, as has happened because of his chosen career. And since you've brought it up, I'll go ahead and mention this endgame was the idea and the plan from back in 600. Uh, and they, uh, Slot had actually planned on doing it earlier, but the idea of um, letting it go until the 50th anniversary in issue 700 um, was, was, was brought into the play. And so he came up with more storylines and plot ideas to do in the meantime. And he specifically mentioned Spider Island as an example of one of those ideas and stories that wasn't originally going to be in the run, but they came up with a lot to go along the way. Yeah, and he he actually had to come up with Spider Island specifically to Pat. After this, the major components, story-wise, came out during Ends of the Earth, when Doc Ock was able to get an imprint of Peter Parker's brain patterns. Who At that point, Doc Ock knew only a Spider-Man. And it's just, you know, Spider-Man plugged himself into Doc Ock's equipment to communicate with the machines that Doc Ock was controlling to hit his ultimate goals. And that gave the dying Dr. Octopus a window into Spider-Man's brain. Now, as, as it was coming, there was a retreat when they decided they wanted a spider event, and the editors found out when, that's when Dan Slott told them, this is what I have planned for issue 700. Their response was, oh, okay, this can be our summer event because we need one. We can bump that up. And at that point, he had structured it to put it off so much, he couldn't bring it forward without messing up his storytelling. So Spider Island was conceived coming off of that meeting saying, no, no, I don't want to do it that soon. I will have a different event for you tomorrow. And he came back with Spider Island the next day, which worked actually nicely for undoing some of the one more day mysticism that actually broke the spell that was cast. So people can now figure out who Spider-Man is, which, again, is an important piece of the story. Dan Slott's run has done a lot, I think, to put off the never-ending bad taste in people's mouths from Brand New Day and One More Day, which is not to slam on those stories for this show, because that's not my purpose, but just to say that a lot of people have complained about Spider-Man and, and that particular event. But I think this run of Dan Slott, especially the events that come out as a result of this particular issue, have put that out of people's minds. That is no longer the most important thing that's happened to Spider-Man in recent years. Yeah, I think when they first put Slot as the sole writer on Spider-Man with Big Time, I remember one of the phrases being used to promote it, not in print, but you know, in spoken word on conference calls that were reproduced on Word Balloon or other Word Balloon conversations and so forth, one of the, the taglines was, it's okay to read Spider-Man again, because people had decided they weren't. And this is a big piece of that. So the story starts in issue 698. And 698 is where this dying Dr. Octopus has woken up, and all he's saying over and over is Peter Parker, Peter Parker, Peter Parker. And this kind of freaks people out because the Avengers know who Peter Parker is and they're saying, oh, he's figured out who you are. What are we going to do? They bring in Spider-Man. And when Spider-Man is alone in the room with Doc Octopus, we find out the reason that Peter Parker's are the words that are coming out of Doc Ock's body. It's not Doc Ock saying, I want Peter Parker, I want to get Spider-Man. It's the mind trapped in Doc Ock's dying body saying, I am Peter Parker. Because in between issues, Doc Ock has implemented his body swap because he knows he's about to go down. And he has swapped minds with Spider-Man to steal Spider-Man's body and continue being the kind of Doc Ock he's always been. In issue 699, some of Doc Ock's contingency plans get implemented, and Peter breaks out in Dr. Octopus's body. And, you know, they're, he's sort of regrouping to get his body back. Issue 699.1 was really Mobius the Living Vampire issue zero. Yeah, it was really a pilot for that series. But if you make it an Amazing Spider-Man issue, you're going to get more people to read it. 
Yeah, and that's really what happened. And that's part of the reason I didn't give Mobius a chance is because that marketing thing had left a bad taste in my mouth. We've got a couple of panels at the beginning of recapping parts of 699, Mobius's escape and his entire story, and then back to things that we've seen in 699. So if you do not read issue 699.1, you have not missed a single panel of Spider-Man story. You can't blame the Mobius creators for the marketing people's decisions. That's not fair. No, I can't, and I may eventually get back to it, but frankly, Mobius the Living Vampire is a pretty tough sell with me to begin with. There is that. I mean, I mean that. granted. <laughs> I'm sure it was a great Mobius story. Was it an excellent comic run? Not for my tastes, but but yeah. Amazing Spider-Man 699.1 was, was published that way to get all of you who not necessarily, for whom Mobius is a hard sell, to at least read one issue and then see how you feel after that. Yeah. Because it's, it wasn't, 699.1 was not a badly made issue. If you are inclined to read a Mobius the Living Vampire series, that could very well have sold you on it. I am not so inclined, so <laughs> they didn't get me. So by the time this issue starts, Peter Parker is free in Spider-Man's, or in Dr. Octopus's body, and essentially acting not quite himself. There's in elements of Dr. or Otto Octavius's personality creeping in while Peter Parker is controlling Otto's body. Meanwhile, Dr. Octopus, he's trying to rekindle the relationship with Mary Jane. Because if you spent most of your life looking like Dr. Octopus and being a villain, and you have the opportunity to sleep with Mary Jane, you're probably going to take it. That's one. He's a scumbag, but in that scene, he's a scumbag that I, I, I get his thought process. This behavior, it's not behavior we could condone, because it's... He is clearly misrepresenting himself to Mary Jane. She does not understand that he is not the Peter Parker that she has always loved. That revelation comes later. So it is... This is one of the scenes that sets him up as one of the most vile villains out there, because he really is taking advantage of the situation. He really is. It's... But like you said, it's one of those things that where you can understand where he's coming from, but Mary Jane would not appreciate it whatsoever. It's an utterly despicable act, that is 100% in character yeah. for Otto Octavius up to this point. Right? That That's the main thing I'm trying to get across. But in any event, before it goes beyond a kiss, he does leave to deal with the Spider-Man issue, because that's when he learns that Dr. Octopus has broken out of prison. So Dr. Octopus, in Peter's body, has left Mary Jane behind to deal with the escaped Doc Doc, but he's not doing it the way Peter would. He's not going out there for the fight. He heads straight to John F. Kennedy Airport to buy one round-trip ticket to Belgium, he wants to return tomorrow. Flight attendant points out that he'll be spending most of the time in the air, and Otto and Peter's body says, yes, about 15 hours. For some people, that's a lifetime. So his plan is to just run out the clock and let Doc Ock's body die. From there, we cut to Dr. Octopus' secret lair, Sigma-6, where Peter and Doc Ock's body is working with Hydro-Man, the Trapster, and the Scorpion in one of his contingency plans, and, you know, trying to restore health. And he has a near-death experience. And in this, he interacts with a lot of the people who've been important in his life. We've got Tim Harrison, we've got the Rhino and his dead wife, we've got Silver Sable, who's chastising him for letting Dr. Octopus live during Ends of the Earth when she sacrificed her life to end that threat. We've got Captain Stacy, so Gwen Stacy and her father. We've got Marla Jameson, we've got Peter's parents, we've got Uncle Ben, and it's actually Uncle Ben who says that, you know what, heaven's not ready for you yet. Any other time, I'd give you my blessing, but you can't leave a man like Otto Octavius running around as Spider-Man or Peter Parker. You built an amazing life. Don't you dare let him destroy it. 
it was interesting reading that moment again, knowing how things go. Yeah. At which point, that's when he comes back and he's saying, no, there's not a moment to lose. You got work to do. The clock is running and he's got a crazy plan of going straight to the authorities. Now, at which point, the next page, we've got the raft and people are, the press show up and they start interviewing the mayor and they ask him, you know, given that Dr. Octopus is expected to die soon, are the police putting forth a serious effort to recapture him? At which point, we'll see by the way this all plays out. J. Jonah Jameson accidentally saves the world. He says, of all the, I don't care if he's got six seconds to live, when it comes to a crazy crackpot like Ock, I'll throw everything I've got at him. Mark my words, that madman will breathe his last breath behind bars. Press asks, but Mr. Mayor, what chance will the police have against a criminal mastermind like, and Jonah cuts him off again, saying, like what, Otto Octavius? The man's a blubbery, bespectacled buffoon. Name one thing he's actually accomplished. One master plan that impotent imbeciles ever pulled off. I know it. You know it. Everyone knows it. His entire time on Earth. Otto's only been one thing. A loser. And that comment is being broadcast in John F. Kennedy Airport. And of course, Peter Ock sees it. Yeah. I love that moment. It is one of the hallmarks of body swap stories which are kind of a trope of comics and fantasy stories, like Freaky Friday, it's a classic film, and even Parent Trap is probably in the same category. But when people encounter the unfiltered perception of themselves from the eyes of others, which is an awkward phrasing, but if you're not trying to say, we always get a filtered understanding of the way other people think about us, because there's politeness, and that's how civilization works. And when you encounter that perception without a filter, it can be very, very interesting. And body swap stories like this that use that, it can be really, really emotional. And just giving him a chance to see what other people really think of him, it makes this entire story go very differently because now he's got to prove himself. Yeah. That comment from J. Jonah Jameson was enough to convince Otto Octavius not to get on the plane and run the clock down. So, Which means we can thank Jonah for the, for, uh, the fact that, you know, Spider-Man gets to survive. Yeah, we, we can thank Jonah for everything from this point on. Because it, if not for that comment, I think it's safe to say that Doc Ock's plan would have succeeded exactly as he had originally formulated it. This would have been his first master plan to actually do the job, except J. Jonah Jameson called him out for never actually having a master plan that did what it was supposed to do. So uh, from here we cut to the 18th Precinct, where Doc Ock, you know, run by Peter Parker, is convincing Hydro Man, Trapster, and Scorpion to attack the police, but not actually killing them you know he actually gives orders don't harm any of them understood right now we only have to worry about spider-man or daredevil interfering but kill an officer our threat level increases and that could bring the avengers down on them and officer going huh it doesn't work like that and peter's going dude you for real i'm trying to never mind (laughs) (laughs) you know he's, he's trying to protect the officers in doc Ock's body as much as he can but he's there to get that golden drone from spider island the one that he used to communicate already to get it to the Avengers and try and get things turned around. Now, Carly Cooper comes in and intervenes, and Carly Cooper, as you may or may not recall, she's a police officer who figured out Spider-Man and Peter Parker's double identity at the end of of Spider Island. And dumped Peter as a result. But has continued to play a major part in the story, which is kind of unusual. Yeah, she is quite possibly the best thing to come on a brand new day. See, I'm so happy to hear you say that, because there's a lot of Carly griping out there. And I think Carly's a great character. I really, really enjoyed her. I think most of the gripes about Carly are the fact that the first panel where she's introduced, she's kissing Peter Parker almost immediately after the the Peter Mary Jane wedding was dissolved. So I think it is negative fallout from one more day that has tainted the character in their eyes. 
if brand if the first issue of Brand New Day was the first issue of Spider Man you ever read, I would expect you to like Carly Cooper. I, I, I would I would too. I like her. I don't feel like she was shoved down our throats as a as a you have to like her kind of character. I think that she is she stands up very well on her own as somebody who's very compatible with Peter's personality and disposition. Yeah, she is. I mean, she's like a modern Jean DeWolf, but she's not dead. Yeah, yeah. So we get that, and Peter does hurt her. He finds out that the, these octopus arms do move on reflex. So even though he's trying to explain the body swap, he still ends up knocking her out. And he recognizes that, yeah, Doc Ock's personality is creeping in. So, and manages to secure her wounds. And then Otto in Spider-Man's body has decided to round up everyone who's of any importance to Peter Parker. And, of course, he's doing it on the pretense of protecting them in case Doc Ock rounds people up to come after the people he loves. But really, it's his safety net. When Peter in Doc Ock's body shows up, and if he does, guess what? I've got everyone you care about as hostages right over here. But that communication actually happens the next day when they have that that conversation. Or the next page, I should say. And the anti-spider patrols are being deployed by the city. You know, again, Hydra Man and Aquaman are sent out. He needs a distraction. Don't hurt any of them saying he might need them for questioning, but the villains are going, okay, so we just need to save one of them for questioning. And Peter's going, no, wait, that's not what I meant. And Trapster's and they're saying, yeah, no offense, Doc, but you're acting really weird. And the others are starting to pick up on it, and the Trapster has realized that this is a brain swap technology that they're looking at. So Peter uses Doc Ock's abilities to gum up the Trapster and glue him down and leave him courtesy your friendly neighborhood Doc Ock. You go from here back to the Spider-Man secret safe room, as they're all in there, and we get another nice moment for J. Jonah Jameson. This is one where he shows that, yeah, if, you, if you're if you on his good side and if you're close to him, for all the bluster, he does honestly care. Which, which brings a nice sort of dramatic tying up of that arc. Not arc, but of that sort of, you know, just that dynamic between them. It's been hostile for so long. Really, with this title ending and Superior Spider-Man starting, there are quite a few just little emotional knot-tyings that are being done to several of the of the character dynamics. Yeah. But the, one of these is, you know, J. Jonah Jameson specifically telling Aunt May, I thought you should know before I got here, I had my people run a check. Peter bought a ticket to Brussels. The flight left earlier tonight. He should be safe. Which not only accomplishes a huge piece for Jonah and May as the conversation continues, but it also gives all these people who are close to Spider-Man a reason to understand why Peter's not locked in there with them, right? Because not all of them know about the dual identity. Right. Mary Jane does, so she's the one that's out there talking to Spider-Man, going, hey, you know what? We need to talk. And, I mean, Otto has been calling her woman for the whole issue. He does it again, I'm busy, woman, go away. Oh, really? This is very important. You know me, and you know I can keep pressing the button all night, and I know you. You'll eventually give in, so let's just cut to the chase. And that's what happens with Otto, too. He recognizes it, so I like that moment where he does cave in and open the door to talk to her. He is recognizing Mary Jane as a person. And it, some of it is showing a level of respect by not ignoring her and going out and having the conversation. Now, he's a total prick when he's having the conversation, but the fact that he chooses to have it is... He's showing her... He at least appears to be showing her some respect. It ends with another kiss, which, again, Otto is currently very despicable. It's it's a weird scene, because Spider-Man, as Spider-Man, is being a total tool. Because she's trying to give him a pep talk, and he's like, uh, stop it with the pep talks already. I've had so many pep talks from you. But then she, as he turns his back on her, she pours out her heart. I love you. And that's kind of where this whole relationship with Mary Jane and Peter has been going. It's been rocky. It's been uncertain. 
but she's confessing to still loving him. Mm-hmm. And it's not Peter that responds. Because if it were Peter who responded, we would have possibly a re-cementing of their relationship because Peter would respond sensitively. He would respond with words that mean something. But Ahok just decides to grab the vulnerability and kiss the girl because she's hot and he likes it. Yeah, it is very different. And like I said, there may be something about her actually earning some of his respect here. Colton, there's no concrete reason to think that Doc Ock is kissing her for any other reason than, you know, trying to set something more intimate up for the future. Yeah, I was just going to say, as is possibility, you could interpret this as Otto actually trying to do what she wants, uh, what the proper response to her vulnerability would be, but having such a a lack of experience with women that just a full-on kiss, a full-on kiss is a movie response to those words. A full-on kiss is like a, a Casablanca or something type of response to those words. It's not an actual men and women type of thing, but he may be trying to do what he thinks is appropriate and just failing. I'm just saying that's one possible way to interpret it. I'm not sure that that's the right way. Yeah, I mean, this. it is entirely possible that this is the first time anyone has ever looked at Otto Octavius and said, I love you. Now, she doesn't realize she's saying it to Otto, but it may be that it struck a chord with him because that's never happened before. Or actually, no, I am mistaken. I completely forgot about Stunner. Yeah. 19 weeks and I'm already forgetting the clone saga. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He did have the, the relationship with Stunner previously. So. so it's not necessarily the first time he's heard the words, I love you, but I would think it's a safe bet that Otto hears that far less often than Peter does. Yeah. Speaking of Peter, we cut from here to below Columbus Circle, where we learn that Peter has got these criminals now breaking into Avengers Tower. And we see Otto in Spider-Man's body saying, Oh, very clever, Octavius, activating all of your hidden giant robots around the globe and drawing all my fellow Avengers away so you'd have me all to yourself. And the fellow Avengers, you know, we see it's all of them. We've got the team of Uncanny Avengers with Captain America, Havoc, Scarlet Witch, Wolverine, right? We've got Iron Man. Captain Marvel, who I think was still Miss Marvel at the time this was published. Uh, she's in her Captain Marvel suit. Okay. Yeah, so it was it was close to the first issue of that. I'm a little fuzzy. Yeah, because line. Marvel Now launched right around this time because Superior Spider-Man was part of Marvel Now. So it was yeah. right at the time that I was changing. I think it would have been hilarious if Wolverine had been on both monitor screens. Yeah. Because there's the ongoing joke about Wolverine and Batman, and to a lesser extent you can say this about Spider-Man, they are all over the place all the time. And to have Wolverine actually in two places at once, I would have laughed. Yeah, that would have been worth it for the joke. But in any event, we've got these screens going, and Otto in Spider-Man's body has been able to turn the Avengers' built-in security against them. And the built-in security does not attack him as a full member of the Avengers. That's clever. Yeah, it is very nicely done. Hydra-Man finds all of the, you know, he's actually sent after all of these guys. Partly because Spider-Man deliberately mentions that J. Jonah Jameson is here. Awk in Spider-Man's body. I should be clear every time. Just It's a brain swap. And given the history between them, that sends the Scorpion after J. Jonah Jameson immediately and Hydra Band comes with him. Now, using the same technology they used to incapacitate the Sandman in an earlier issue, they incapacitate Hydro Man. And I'm not... I don't know. I've, always, I've had issues with that. They decided it's like the entire persona is encapsulated in one piece of the body. With Sandman, there's a single grain of sand that had all of the essence of Sandman. Here it's a single droplet of water. I have issues with something that size not having the complexity needed 
for all the memories and the mental processes. That's just, it's always irked me. I agree. I think it's the sort of thing that doesn't make a single lick of sense in real world thought, but it's the only thing that makes sense with how the, the dynamics of the characters are handled as far as their power sets. Yeah, it does solve the problem of, you know, why you can cut off Sandman's arm and it's still treated as his arm and not a separate Sandman. Or you could cut off his head and he could just grow up another head. His brain's not in there. Yeah, it's uh, either should be distributed across all particles, in which case you do have issues when they're separated, or it's got to be a single particle like this. Either way, there's problems, but that just boils down to Hydra-Man and Sandman's power sets, which were established long before Dan Slott took over, just don't work from a scientific perspective. Right. We get another nice moment for J. Jonah Jameson when Scorpion comes in to take care of him, and Jonah's saying, okay, I'm the one you have an issue with, just attack me. Leave everybody else alone. And then, you know, Otto comes in in Spider-Man's body and intervenes, and he gets a bit of a flashback of Mary Jane, or of Aunt May, sorry. And that, it's interesting that, you know, he's using this to say that's why you're not going to hurt that woman. They could have gone back through the continuity well that Dan Slott mines so deeply for the days when Doc Ock and Aunt May were going to get married. I actually read it that way. Because he says you will not harm that dear sweet lady before the flashback happens, and he is put off by the flashback. I actually read it as Octavius having an affinity for May, and then getting a weird Peter flashback. Yeah, and I think that's right. That it's an element to it, but they didn't flash back to the, to the that. And try to explain it. They gave hints that you know Peter's memories are still in this body, just yeah. as Peter in Otto's body is picking up some of Otto's personality traits. So there's a little bit of a bleed. And the other nice thing here, this whole thing has come about because Doc Ock blames Spider-Man for the abuse to his body. And he's treated Spider-Man as this thug who just enjoys kicking the crap out of people. That's the story he's told himself. And yet when he's fighting the Scorpion, they don't show it on panel, possibly for ratings, but he punched his jaw off. And he actually thinks that the thought balloons are his jaw. The one place he wasn't armored, I took it clean off. Never knew this body held so much power. All these years, Parker must have been holding back. And you get a moment of realization here. So, and even Jane, Jonah Jameson saying, I knew you had it in you, kid. And Otto was saying, I didn't. Right. So even he didn't realize how much it was. I'm thinking, but I'm not him, am I? Like, so Otto is starting to recognize what Peter's been dealing with and the fact that, yeah, Peter is strong. Spider-Man has beaten on him pretty hard, but he's been showing restraint the entire time. Spider-Man may not be in Hulk class strength, but if he's hitting a normal human being, he's strong enough that it would need conscious effort not to kill that person in one hit. Right. And that goes all the way back to Amazing Spider-Man issue number eight, when he's in the ring with Flash and tries to pull a punch mid-punch and can't and ends up knocking Flash across the ring. Yeah. Now we've got a uh, callback to the Clone Saga here with the impact webbing that was originally developed by Ben Riley, And he, when he, Doc Ock and Spider-Man are fighting, he uses that impact webbing on Glory Max and Mary Jane. I didn't realize the impact webbing would pierce people. Yeah, is it piercing them? I'm not seeing any blood or any penetration. It's just, it. it's meant to explode on contact. Okay, the reason I was saying piercing is because on the first panel, it's hitting Glory in the back. On the yeah. second panel, it's hitting Max on the back, and we see it in the front. And on the third panel, it's coming, it looks like it's coming out of Mary Jane's front. Yeah, I just thought the panel before that, we see him launching at least four batches of the impact webbing. So I just thought that one of those, you know, Mary Jane happened to be facing the other direction, and it hit her. I didn't interpret it as piercing. It has never done that before. 
He's never done that before. It's it's confusing because if that's the case, then he's moved the camera, and that's not comics. That's not the way you do comics. Yeah, even in, in film studies, that's what they call the 180 degree rule. You draw a 180 degree line, and you don't cross that line with your camera, or it disorients the reader. And I think that's what's happened here is that they rather than coming out of Mary Jane after going in through her back, I think she was hit on the front, but they've just changed direction. So, so that's that, that's that's a faux pas on Ramos. We're going to slap his wrist, but it's okay. We'll keep going. Yeah. So. Doc Ock here is just, this is when we realize Peter is, he's willing to sacrifice himself rather than allow Doc Ock to continue in his body as Spider-Man. And he drags the two of them out of a very tall window. And, you know, we've talked about Otto realizing what Peter's been all about and gaining more respect for him. We get the flip side to this, where as they're falling, Otto in Spider-Man's body is releasing a pile of webbing. And Peter's thought process is, what's he doing? A web net from this height would be almost as bad as the pavement. That pattern? Not just a web cushion, an airbag like stuntmen use. Clever, why didn't I ever think to do that? At which point he lands and his spine shatters and he can't feel his legs and realizes he's about to die. But he gets that revelation where he realizes, yeah, Doc Ock just thought of something I never thought of that would have been useful, which is laying a lot of groundwork for what's coming up. Mm -hmm. Now we get that golden droid coming up to try and swap the brains back and we find out, well, yeah, this Doc Ock has had carbonadium plating which I'm pretty damn sure is a material Don Slot invented for that. <laughs> but essentially, he's protected himself, so the brain swap cannot be reversed. And Peter realizes there's still some kind of connection there and is able to, to use a link to force Dr. Octopus to relive Peter's formative experiences. So Otto sees himself in the memories, right? We've got flashbacks to Amazing Fantasy 15, where Aunt May says she cooked your favorite breakfast, Petey, wheat cakes, and Ben's warning, don't fatten them up too much, dear. Right, which in the initially was followed up that he could barely out-wrestle him as it is. But it doesn't show Peter, it shows Otto. It's got Otto allowing the burglar to pass by. It's got Otto getting bit by the spider. It's Otto realizing that Uncle Ben has been shot by the guy he chose not to stop. Right, It's Otto at the death of Captain Stacy, at the death of Gwen Stacy. All of these formative events, and Otto is experiencing it. And he's the one that said, it's Otto and Peter's body saying, please, no more, it's too much, I can't, can't go on. And Peter says, yes, you can. You'd be surprised how much you can do, how many things are worth fighting for. And some of the communication seems to be almost telepathic, but it's back to, you know, lifting the equipment from the Master Planner arc, to pulling off Juggernaut's helmet, to all of these formative experiences. And this is the point that sets things up for the future. Peter dies in the body of Dr. Octopus, but Dr. Octopus now understands that with great power must come great responsibility. It closes with, farewell, Peter Parker. Know this, I will carry on in your name. You may be leaving this world, but you are not leaving it to a villain. I swear, I will be Spider-Man. Better yet, with my unparalleled genius and my boundless ambition, I'll be a better Spider-Man than you ever were. From this day forth, I shall become the superior Spider-Man. Dun-dun-dun. And that's the final panel leading into the superior Spider-Man relaunch, which the creative team swore was going to be permanent, and we now know lasted until issue 31, including a point one. Or point AU for Age of Ultron issue in there. Yeah, they swore up and down. And I wanted them to be right, if only because I wanted them to stick to their guns on a big change like this. The the Bucky as Captain America situation lasted long enough that I wasn't expecting them to bring Steve Rogers back. At least not that creative team. Other creative teams come, people revivaled characters, whatever. But I actually thought that Bucky as Captain America was the, the 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 wave of the future. 
And so whenever they did this and they, and they use things like, you know, when Jay Garrick gave way to Barry Allen, when Alan Scott gave way to Hal Jordan, that was permanent for all intents and purposes. And that's what things are happening now. And after it was all said and done, Dan Slott said, I hated doing it, but I had to lie to the faces of six-year-old girl fan readers. And this was the plan all along, was to do this story and bring it back around. So, um, you know, it's it's whatever. It is. Apparently the only person he told about this outside the Marvel offices was Andrew Garfield. He, he did get a chance to visit the set when Amazing Spider-Man 2 was, was coming up. And in a private conversation, he swore Garfield to secrecy, but he said, just so you know, Peter will be back in time for the movie, which apparently was something reassuring to Andrew Garfield at that point. But it, in my experience, there are four levels of death in the comic book universes. The lowest level of death is the, the one where not even the characters believe they're actually dead anymore. It's the, you know, well, we didn't find a body, but no one could have survived that fall kind of death, right? Where everyone believes, yeah, they're coming back. And no one even bats an eye anymore. Even the characters, I mean, when the Kingpin was supposed to be dead in Bendis' Daredevil, the police are going, do we have a body? No, then he's not going to be dead. Or even going further back to the early issues of Fantastic Four when Doctor Doom is dead and Johnny Storm is like, well, we've finally seen the last of Doom. And Reed's like, I wonder, Johnny, I wonder. Yeah, it goes, you can even go back to, by the time we were in the early 40s, even Batman was not believing the Joker actually died when he fell off a cliff. Right. Because he had done it seven times before. Yeah. The second level of death is the one like Captain America or like this turned out to be where the creative team in place is the one that brings them back. And if they hadn't insisted this death was going to be permanent and forever, then it would have been easier to convince me that Dan Slott and these guys know too much about comics. They should have argued for what I call the third level of death, which is like Barry Allen after Crisis on Infinite Earths or Hal Jordan after Final Night, where... You know, as far as this creative team and this editorial staff are concerned, they are dead. But Peter Parker has made too much money over the years to stay dead permanently, right? The, I was hoping that, that they were at least going to have him dead, right? Have Otto Octavius as Spider-Man throughout the Dan Slot run and have someone bring him back afterwards, you know, to boost sales. Or even when they announced that Peter was coming back in Amazing, I was kind of hoping that Doc Ock would continue and that they would both be active as heroes with their two very different interpretations of with great power must come great responsibility. That that could have been cool, yeah. The fourth level of death and the final level seems to be reserved for Batman's parents, Gwen Stacy and Ben Parker, where dead really and truly means dead. And Ultimate Peter Parker? Could be. I haven't been reading Ultimate Miles Morales as Spider-Man. I've heard that someone came back who may or may not have been Ultimate Peter Parker. I think we mentioned that in when we recorded Podcast 75. I don't know if that was really him or not, but... Oh, hey, I have totally been here with you for the death of Spider-Man twice. Yes. <laughs> That's fun. Okay. Yeah, it's one of those things where this was the tagline they gave to get people to buy the book and to invest in the book. As the, what, year and a half, two years went on, the back of my brain was saying, they're going to put Peter back in the costume in time for Amazing Spider-Man 2, because that's what makes the best sense from a brand perspective. It, it doesn't always. The only reason I had doubts about that is because from what I'm hearing, movies tend to drive trade paperback sales better than monthly issue sales. So I would have believed that they just had a whole crap load of trade paperback product out there with Peter instead. I would go with that, except that Marvel does tend to launch new monthlies with their movies. Not all the time, but most of their movies have come along with new monthly publication initiatives. 
even going back to the Invincible Iron Man series whenever Iron Man came out. That was running actually for the short time that Iron Man had two solo books. Yeah. But but yeah, it's uh it's one of those things where but regardless of how you want to look at this and categorize it, comics and heroes go through stories and you have to introduce some big shakeup in order to have a story that you can then resolve. And so this was the biggest one, I think, in years was making Dr. Octopus Spider-Man for what? I don't remember if it was a year and a half or two years. It was like 30 odd issues. Yeah, it would have been about 16 months, I think. Okay, so it's just on the short side of a year and a half. Yeah, because they did, it was uh, two issues a month. They had the Age of Ultron issue. It went up to 31. So I'm pretty sure it was Superior Spider-Man number one came out in January 2013. So I believe it was April 2014 that had the last two issues of Superior. And then the first week of May 2014 that launched Amazing, along with Amazing Spider-Man 2. Right. Okay, so that makes sense. Well, that means Amazing Spider-Man 2, the issue came out the same month as Amazing Spider-Man 2, the movie. That's funny. But but yeah, this was um, a hugely significant milestone. Peter Parker appears to have come to the end of his 50-year career. The highest numbered Marvel comic is coming to the end after 700 issues. And it's it's big. Not counting the Deadpools. But... Oh, well. Yeah, yeah, Deadpool had 1,000 and then he had 900 and then uh, Deadpool team up where they started publishing the issues in reverse order. So 900 came out before 899, which came out before 898. But the end of 898 is still the beginning of 899, as far as status quo is concerned. So as long That's as weird. Until thing. I think Deadpool, they just pick a number to put on the cover each issue. Yeah, with 1,000, they made it a joke. Same with 900. But again, yeah, the, the Deadpool team up. It was an odd choice, which was somewhat entertaining. They were all done in one stories. But again, off topic, The if you're looking at consecutively numbered issues, not counting the negative one event from July 97 or the point ones, Right. Then, yeah, 700 is the highest issue count any character's had. If you include all the ancillary series, Spider-Man has got to be the most published Marvel Comics character. Yeah, most definitely. Yeah, by the time you add in all your spectaculars, your sensationals, your adjective lists, your friendly neighborhood. Marvel Team-Up and Web-Of. And... Yeah, Web-Of for sure. Marvel Team-Up, you could make a case either way because some of those were Johnny Storm, but still, for a good chunk of it, that was definitely a Spider-Man book where you could read Amazing Spider-Man and he goes from bright and chipper to really exhausted. And if you want to know what's happened in the last 20 minutes, read this month's Marvel team-up. Right. <laughs> there was a lot of that being fed back and forth and through. And it works quite well. But this this is the biggest shakeup to the character since One More Day. And I would say it's bigger than One More Day. As upset as people were that the marriage was dissolved to the point that it never actually happened. And they were rewriting the history of what was published. Which I think was the first time Marvel ever did that. DC has rewritten their history. Marvel... They've done little things like, you know, which war, you know, Iron Man was, instead of being injured during the Vietnam War, he was injured on a return visit to Vietnam when they were cleaning up the mines that were left there. And other things that are necessary just to keep up the sliding timeline of the Marvel Universe. Or even whenever they launched the Silver Age and decided to rewrite timely history because they wanted to use a different, you know, they wanted to tell the stories of the characters a little bit differently. But, but, but they've always had the idea that if you just start with number one of the universe, Fantastic Four One, and read forward from there. Aside from little course corrections along the way, it's a continuous narrative. Yeah. I mean, if you were to be introduced into one of these universes and you go up to Superman and say, hey, do you remember when and talk about an early action comics? 
that Superman you're talking to wouldn't remember it because the new right. 52 Superman is different from the post-crisis Superman, is different from the Golden Age Superman, right? These are distinct characters. Whereas if you were put into the Marvel 616 universe and go up to Iron Man and say, hey, do you remember when? And talk about something that happened in early Tales of Suspense. Maybe Iron Man is not the best example. He's either probably going to say, yes, I remember, don't remind me, or no, I was blacked out at the time. <laughs> but if you go up to Aunt May, on the other hand, and ask her about, you know, the wedding anniversary of Peter and Mary Jane, she would no longer know about that. Yeah. And that's that's it's a unique thing in Marvel, which, you know, I don't want to I don't want to get into a benefits and drawbacks of that, but it is definitely something they did. But I think you're right. In my mind, killing Peter Parker, putting Octopus in his body for 16 months and then bringing him back and making him deal with the ramifications of that, shaking up his entire world as a result, I think is huge. Oh, yeah. This was the Superior Spider-Man run was probably the most exciting Spider-Man run for me as a reader. And this is speaking as someone who's got the Spider-Man DVD ROM and has read every single issue of Amazing Spider-Man. Up until the past couple of months, pulling the curtain back a bit, we are recording this on January 10th, 2015. We haven't yet recorded the Clone Saga podcast, and that that's a lot of reading, so I'm behind on my regular monthly reads. But you will have it read and recorded and released before this one comes out, so it's okay. Yeah. So it's, I ha read, or at least own and intend to read, every issue of Amazing Spider-Man to date. And, like I said, this the Superior Era, I think, was the most exciting era because it was so different from what we've seen. It was definitely a think-outside-of-the-box idea. It had implications for the way Spider-Man interacts with the Avengers, where he's essentially no longer an Avenger. They booted him off the team because of what Otto was doing. Right? It had ramifications for his supporting cast, some of which were interesting. Like, you know, when he explained what happens to Mary Jane, she's like, okay. Like, what you... She's like, yeah, it explains a lot, and this kind of stuff happens to you. Okay. Whereas others were not as forgiving or as understanding. If I recall, Carly Cooper is basically no longer a player in the story as a result of all this, right? Yeah, she's kind of stepped away for a while, but it wouldn't surprise me. If, I mean, she could come back. She could come back, back but she has left his life for yeah. all intents and purposes now. And then there's, you know, the differences in Black Cat, which they don't necessarily strike me as being in character, but it definitely had a huge impact on his relationship with Felicia Hardy. There's no question about that. So that that's the first of the three stories. And skipping a little bit ahead in our outline, I am firmly convinced that this is the story that landed issue 700 in the, the Greatest 75 Countdown. I, I don't believe the other two backup stories would have done that. Yeah, it's it's Dying Wish that puts this book where it needs to be. And really, top 50 greatest Marvel stories ever told. Kind of like with Giant Size X-Men, I would say that this, as the launching point of Superior Spider-Man, and taking all of that as a concept, this is definitely one of the greatest things that Marvel has ever done. Great as, great in the sense of big. Now, also in my particular perspective, great as in awesome to read, but that's subjective. I would say it is one of the biggest things that Marvel has ever done. Yeah, this is a story that's on the list, not just because of its impact and continuity, but because it's an entertaining story. Yeah, it's it's possibly the first one that we've done that you and I have done that I think really strikes high in both impact and enjoyment level. Yeah, yeah, and that's something. A lot of the issues in those first twenty-five, and even some looking at the list coming up, a lot of them it's either or. Right, Marvel Two and One Annual Number Seven seems to be on the list just because it's entertaining. It's a great thing story, right? Yeah, 
Whereas, you know, Avengers number one or Avengers number four was largely on the list for impact. It's not a bad comic, but if that didn't happen to be the issue where Cap joined the team, I don't think it would have made the list. Right. Right. Similarly, when we discussed Marvel Comics number one, I, I think that's just sort of first introduction from the character. And that's why it's there. Right. This is one of the ones that actually hits both. And we've yeah. got more of those coming. One of the nice things about this particular podcast is the the further we get through the series, the more enjoyable things are becoming because <laughs> it's pulling it in from everywhere. Yeah, yeah, that, that's... I'm moving away from the, I read this for the podcast, to issues like this one where I was reading it as it came out. I have been collecting Amazing Spider-Man on a monthly basis since shortly after I got back into comics. The JMS run was already active when I started collecting comics again. So by the time even Civil War came out, I was buying every issue of Amazing Spider-Man. So we're looking at around issue 530, I think. Mm -hmm. So, and I'd, I remember, you know, I've been getting it. I initially started collecting because I was getting everything in the trades. I think I started getting the individual issues. Oh, I believe the first one I got individually was probably number 500. And I went from there. I've been reading Spider-Man since I was, well, if you want to tell the story that you just told as far as continuously purchasing, I got back into comics in 2008 with Secret Invasion. And Spider-Man was not a big part of Secret Invasion, but coming in and finding out what all had gone down recently with Spider-Man, I backtracked all the way back to one more day and started reading from there forward. I did also read Civil War, the entire DVD, so I got to see Spider-Man's part and all of that. And I've read some of the stuff from, from around that area before Secret Invasion as well. But from Secret Invasion forward, I was reading all of the Brand New Day stuff. I was there up until... The Superior Spider-Man run ended and Amazing Spider-Man relaunched. And right around that time, just because of time and everything, I had to start trimming what I was reading on a regular basis new off the shelf. And I cut almost everything out that was new off the shelf, and I haven't been reading Spider-Man since. And part of that is because of how my brain works. If I'm going to say I'm going to read Spider-Man now, then I will want to read everything he's in and all of his ancillary books, like... Spider-Man 2099 and stuff like that. Yeah, which, and as someone who's got been reading Spider-Man 2099, it's worth it. That I imagine it is. I just don't have the time for that right now. So right now, Superman is winning over Spider-Man in my monthly reading, and I'm reading all of Superman stuff and various other DC titles that I'm picking up along the way, but I, I don't have the mental energy to give to a monthly Spider-Man read. However, I am looking forward to going back at some point in the future Going back to Amazing Spider-Man 1 um, that came out, you know, after this volume and going through all the Spider-Verse and everything else, because it looks amazing, pun intended. And I, I do want to read it, just not right now. Okay, so, I don't know, did you have anything to add for Suicide Run before you move on to the backups? For Suicide Run? Yeah, that's... Dying Wish? Dying Wish is the overarching name for issues 698, 99, and 700, or the first part of 700. This chapter... Oh, and Suicide Run is the chapter, okay. Let's see... I guess the only other thing I was going to say is just kind of how I felt when this issue actually hit. I mean, we've done some sort of retrospective as, you know, talking about the Superior Spider-Man run. When this issue actually hit, I wasn't sure how I felt about Octavius taking over for Spider-Man. But the um, this issue made me feel guardedly optimistic about that. Mm -hmm. And it says in the story, go pick up, or actually in the, in the letters column for this issue, it says to go and pick up the Avenging Spider-Man issue that's on the stands right now, which is a dot one issue. And it is Otto Octavius looking back on his career with Spider-Man as he's getting ready to go and be Spider-Man for the first time. 
And it's an amazing read. And it's not Dan Slott, but I was like, okay, if this is the way this story is going to be, I am totally in. And that is what sold me on the idea of Superior Spider-Man. And even though it's a little bit of a different feel than what Dan Slott actually wrote because it's a different writer, that's where I was when this when this issue came out. It was I was I was ready for what happened next. Yeah. It did play out very well. Like I said, it's coming in. I started hearing rumors that this was the plan. It was not spoiled by any solicitations or anything like that. The rumors hit online a couple of days before Christmas. So when it came out on Boxing Day, the reveal was there. And I think it was the only issue Marvel put out that Boxing Day. So the Avenging Spider-Man issue came out the next week. So they will often do that. That week between Christmas and New Year's, they just put out one or two very key titles. Mm -hmm. They'll try to get as many people to buy those few books by making them important. Yeah. So that was it. Yeah, so moving on to the backups, the first one is Spider Dreams, which is, it's an alternate or possible future for Spider-Man, where he's going by a different name, he's a grandfather, and he's babysitting his his grandson, and his grandson just isn't all that interested, not really believing it, you know, he's got issues with his webs, he's got memory issues when he's trying to explain what happened in the past, things don't quite line up correctly. There's a nice little tie into the continuity. I mean, we've talked about how sometimes Marvel misses details. So sometimes Peter was going alone to the science exhibit. Sometimes it was a school trip. And in here, when he's recapping it, he even says, I don't remember if I went alone or if it was a school trip, but something happened that day that changed everything. And that's when the radioactive spider bit him. And his grandson is reluctant. And honestly, reading it, I didn't believe this was the real Spider-Man until very near the end. And really the last page where... You know, he's got all this saying, well, villains found out where I was. They attacked me at home, where he's got, you know, wife and daughter there, pregnant wife and daughter, actually. And, you know, at the end of the battles, he realized he had a true responsibility. So he went to Nick Fury, a different Nick Fury than either we've seen. Well, every every character in this is a little bit different. It, it, it's not our universe, because all of the flashbacks, the characters, the costumes are different and everything else. But it's definitely meant to invoke uh, that this is a future Spider-Man yeah, I mean, this whether he he looks different because it's an alternate universe or because Spider-Man in the future is going senile and not remembering things accurately, you could read yeah. it either way, the way this one is structured. and, and That's true. The, like I said, I didn't actually believe that this was the real Spider-Man until the last page of the story where he takes his grandson out swinging through the city again. And it's kind of genius the way it's written because it's written that way, that this totally starts out feeling like an old grandpa is trying to impress his grandson with a story. He has a Spider-Man costume for who knows why, and he's going to tell his story about being Spider-Man to impress his grandson. But as you're going along, you're, you, it gets so involved and so complex that you start to get drawn in. And you're like, well, is this really old Spider-Man? And it, it's cemented on the last page whenever I'll, I'll let you tell what happens. Yeah, it's, you know, the grandfather shows up at his grandson's window, and it's just, it ends with a splash page of them swinging through the city. Very much Amazing Fantasy 15 cover where he has his boy under his arm like that crook, only, you know, of course, they're happy and swingy, but it invokes that image. Yeah. The only thing I would complain about the image is the way it's positioned. There's nothing for the web line they're swinging on to be attached to. There's a helicopter up there. Yeah. that's. Oh, it was the same thing I always used to imagine watching the, that Spider-Man 67 cartoon, but there's this constant line of helicopters above the city for Spider-Man to attach his webs to because there's so many sequences of him swimming above the city. I just, yeah. I'm not going to talk about the 67 Spider-Man cartoon. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, it's it, it's not a bad story. It's entertaining enough. It's nice at the end. I'm, I've am i always liked brain over brawn stories, and that's one of the reasons I like Spider-Man is 
he's got power, but he usually has to solve the problem by outthinking his foe. Mm -hmm. So I'm not entirely pleased with the suggestion that he goes this senile as he gets older. As alternate futures go, this is not the only, by any means, the only alternate future we've seen for Spider-Man, and I prefer to believe that the others are where he's going rather than this one. Uh, yeah, I guess that's why I, I chose to read it not as senility, but it just as a, a different Spider-Man, you know? Yeah, that and that works as well. I mean, it, if I were to choose the future that our Spider-Man gets of all the options that have been presented, I would say the MC2 future with Mayday in the mm. Spider-Girl series would have been my choice. Yeah. You know, where he's a little worse for the wear. Mentally, he's all there. Generally, he's healthy, even if he needs a cane. I also kind of liked how the builds of the characters, both the grandfather and the grandson, are more Otto Octavius-type builds than Peter Parker builds. Yeah. I just kind of felt like that thematically fit in with this issue. Yeah. This is definitely not someone who's actively running through the city like Spider-Man would have been. So he's he's very much out of shape, which fits with the retired. That is That part's nice. This is not an aging Spider-Man who's going to have his own Dark Knight Returns and put the suit back on and go be a hero again. Right. So that element is nice. But yeah, it's it, it's kind of like a, a little zero-calorie story. You can read it, it'll entertain you, but I don't know that it's going to stay with you. If I... I would probably say it's like the two-calorie story, whereas the next one is the zero-calorie story. Because it is so... <laughs> I don't know, it's fun, but I for, forgot it existed as soon as I put the book down. Yeah, and honestly, coming back to reread this issue for the podcast, I had completely forgotten what backups were in it. I remembered Spider Dreams when I read the first page. Or probably mm -hmm. the first page was like, oh, write this one. Date Night? I I remembered it so poorly, I couldn't even guarantee I read it the first time it came out. It says in the credits, another Black Cat storybook adventure by Jen Van Meter. Has she done stuff like this before? Has she and Stephanie Buscema done another whimsical Black Cat story? I'm not going to say no, but I will say not that I'm aware of. While we're talking, I'll do some uh, searching, but you can go ahead and continue on. All right, I'll do a quick recap. It's it's an interesting art style. The As John mentioned, it's set up as a, another Black Hat storybook adventure. It really is from Black Hat's perspective. The art style makes it look like it's all done in crayon, although I strongly suspect it's just digital and that's the kind of tool that was being used. Uh, Spider-Man shows up for a date, gets called away for an Avengers alert, which firmly takes it out of 616 continuity because Spider-Man was not an Avenger at any time while he was involved romantically with Black Cat. But while Spider-Man is defeating this big robot, Black Cat is running through the city, essentially running interference for him and making sure he can save the day. Along the way, encountering, you know, at least half of the Fantastic Four, Ant-Man and the Wasp, who are quite happily together as a couple, J. Jonah Jameson, who's in love with his bag of money, which was a nice little touch, you know, running the police through a museum. So she is you know, largely doing things so that Spider-Man can go do his thing without running into problems from anyone else. So it, it it's a cute little story that way, but if you're going to read a story about someone running interference for someone else, you go back to the issue of Captain America where he goes on a date with Diamondback. Mm -hmm. That, I would say, it, it I would think that's more successful with the same concept. Now, part of the limitation is, this is Amazing Spider-Man 700. For all these milestone issues, when you're being hired as the backup writer, you kind of know that what you're writing can't have big impacts on continuity. So in some ways it's freeing because you could just, you know, tell a cute little story if that's what's running through your head. You're not going to see a story like this as the only story in any issue of Amazing Spider-Man. Right? It's not going to be the lead. But at the same time, it's kind of confining because then, yeah, you've got this many pages and you're not going to have an impact. 
right? You can't do the world-changing thing. You're not setting up a bigger story. It's one and done in eight or 14 pages, depending on which story you're looking at. I'm kind of okay with that, because, I mean, whimsical, one-off, non-important stories have their place in comics, and I, I do like that. Well, do, on, one of my favorite New Warrior stories, and this is coming from a guy who owns every issue of New Warriors, as well as like Speedball solo issues and Firestar solo issues and all of Nova's solo, solo issues, or at least Richard Ryder Nova, one of my favorite New Warrior stories is the Speedball backup written by Dan Slott in New Warriors Annual Number 1. It's just fun. You know, it's Speedball, they're experimenting to try and figure out Speedball's powers, and he's running through New York trying to activate his powers in, you know, all sorts of fun ways, by jumping off buildings or dropping down manhole covers, and none of them work. He's trying to do this, but the Invisible Woman saves him, or She-Hulk saves him, or some other character shows up and saves him in this New York that's just teeming with superheroes. And then it comes back to base and they say, oh, by the way, we forgot to mention this experiment we're doing. It may have disabled your powers for an hour or two, so don't do anything crazy. <laughs> right, and then he's doing all these flashbacks of all these times he could have died if not for all these heroes all over the city. Which, again, no lasting impact at all, but it's fun enough that over 20 years later, I still remember reading it the first time. And I've reread it several times since. But this Black Cat story, a year and a half later, or two years later, I read it and was thinking, this exists? Really? I just, yeah. Yeah. It, it left me with nothing. So it's it, it's entertaining enough while you're reading it. And it is a very different art style. Like I said, it, it's designed to to look like it was done in crayon. But I don't know. Nothing wrong with Jen Van Meter. She's a, a good writer. I mean, you, you could actually, I could see people running debates about whether it's her or her husband that's the better writer. Who's, uh, who's her husband? Greg Rucka. Oh, wow, okay. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Rook is clearly the most, the most successful writer, and he's also a good writer. I just don't know who you could argue is the, you know, in terms of technical skill, who is the better writer. Yeah. So. Okay, well, just for the record, I could find no records of other Black Cat storybook adventures. So there's that. In fact, all of the online sources that refer to this one call it a Black Cat storybook adventure instead of another. So I'm thinking that possibly they're wanting to do more and they didn't want them to be um, necessarily in any particular order, so they put the word another in print. Yeah, this this could very well have been branded like that just for fun, as though they want to pretend there's a whole series of these. It could have been testing the waters to see if you can have Black Cat storybook adventures like mini Marvels. Mm, yeah, because Black Cat is one of those characters that a lot of Spider-Fans have a lot of affinity for. And so will, do you do you like Black Cat enough to support a fun, whimsical series about her? and I guess maybe the answer was no, although it's definitely something that was worth a shot. Yeah, it's. I, I think I could really enjoy this style of story with a different lead character. Black Cat being the cat burglar and being the kind of risque character she is who's not afraid to use her femininity to manipulate people that she's working with, or at least as she has under some writers, I don't know if I'd want Black Cat to be the lead in uh, an all-ages product like this would be. Right, But if you were to say Jen Van Meter and Stephanie Buscema are being pulled together to do an all-ages product in this style, if they know that they've got long haul and more than four or five pages, you know, if it's more along the lines of Tiny Titans and other work by Art and Franco, even if they're getting a six-issue or four-issue miniseries, that's something I would seriously consider. There is a super cute panel of Ant-Man and the Wasp in the course of things here, and I can totally see them doing that, of a, of a Wasp series that, that involves Ant-Man where he's wearing a tux and his helmet. That's just really fun and cute. Yeah, it is. I, I do like it. Like I said, it's, I can see the style succeeding. 
it's just the restrictions of the page count and being so grossly overshadowed by the lead story. I mean, there's Dying Wish Suicide Run does not leave you in a mindset where you are expecting a kid-friendly story to follow it. <laughs> this is true. Death of Peter Parker, black cat frolicking across the rooftops. Yeah, it's like, I don't know, it's like you, you know, you pull out your DVD of, of Apocalypse Now and, you know, turn on the TV and, oh, look, there's the Flintstones. <laughs> it's just... <laughs> yeah. They, they do not mesh at all. You don't follow Punisher Warzone with anything Hanna-Barbera. No, no, not usually. But other than a few bonus pages in the back, I guess that's the end of the issue. We have some teases of upcoming events in Superior, a tease for Avenging 15.1, and the cover gallery. Yep, we've got some letter pages, including tributes from other comic creators saying why they love Spider-Man. No, but yeah, that's about it in terms of the actual pages that are, are sequential art and the kind of pages that would land on, on this list. I think it's spider or suicide run. So, I mean, I, aside from, I guess now we, we get into the deeper meanings. I don't see any deeper meanings really in the backup issues, right? No, I mean, there's, there's the nostalgia of, um, sweet dreams, but that's not really a deeper meaning. It's, it's the, it's the, it's the text right there, not the subtext. Yeah. And with, with date night, it's, I don't know. If anything, it's, you know, don't take people for granted because by the end of the story, Spider-Man does not realize how much help he's had from Black Cat. Right. And what she's been doing for him. Whereas Suicide Run, it, that and the entire Superior Spider-Man run that came after it, the overlying theme is what does it mean to be a hero? Yeah. Because a villain trying to be a hero. I mean, that's, that's the kind of story that's often compelling. And I just, seeing the journey that Otto went on, from here, where he's realized just what being Spider-Man was all about, and now he's set out to do it, all the way through realizing he can't do it. Mm -hmm. With the whole intermediate phase of fully convinced that he is the best Spider-Man ever, because he's doing all of these things. It's, it's such a great arc that they take the character through, that bringing Peter Parker back for the new Amazing volume is almost a letdown. It was in a lot of ways. I really enjoyed it. I would have liked to see Superior last longer. But at the same time, the issue that actually, well, the issues that feature his return, I would have preferred if 30 and 31 were a single issue of Superior. Because it's actually the tail end of issue 30 where Peter's back in his body. Mm, yeah. And then all of 31, he's dealing with the mess. So it feels like the emotional punch they've been building to for the entire Superior era came before 31. So that's I think 31 left me a little bit flat. And I think that's because we already had the payoff. Yeah, and I'm not sure exactly what the better way to do that would have been, because it's it's the story that bridges Superior and Amazing. But in Amazing Spider-Man 1, you want a number one issue, not a number epilogue issue, you know? Yeah, and I agree with that. I, what I would have preferred, as much as I, you know, the Inhuman series kind of left me a little bit flat that's running, I really enjoyed the Black Widow series. Instead of having oversized issues to reprint the first issues of both of those to shine a spotlight on them, I would have preferred it if they just had a single giant size issue 30, and instead of being giant sized because it's got Inhuman number one after it, and instead of 31 being giant sized because it's got Black Widow number one after it, I would have preferred 30 was giant sized because every, all the pages of 31 were in that same issue. And just make that one issue. Yeah, I can see that. So one giant issue where Peter's back in the suit halfway through, and then you see some of the differences. Like, Doc Ock has been taking it so seriously, there were no wisecracks when he was Spider Man. Mm -hmm. And when Peter's back in the suit and facing the Green Goblin and makes a joke, 
the Green Goblin does this magnificent double take. It's the art on that panel is perfect. Giuseppe Camincoli has you've almost animated it. You could see the head snap, and you could see the change in expressions. And he's drawn him halfway through the two expressions. You can see what his face just looked like and what it's about to look like when he's realizing it and says, "It's you." Spider-Man says, "The one and only." And Norman Osborn's like, "Okay, I wasn't ready for that. I'm leaving." <laughs> right. It's. Uh, I don't, have you read that issue? Or oh yeah, oh yeah. Yeah, I just love that. We could actually have a whole podcast on Superior Spider-Man because that was such such a great run. But but deeper meanings, I do like the hero's quest. Not the hero's quest as in a hero goes out to do something, but the but the quest to be a hero that Otto goes on is it's set up here and it's it's really really awesome. It's a more modern interpretation of the character to say that Otto Octavius and Peter Parker are really two different versions of the same character, but it's definitely used to great effect in this issue, setting up Superior Spider-Man with uh, with visualizing himself in Peter's shoes, because he is the budding scientist. I mean, he could have had Peter's life mm-hmm. and still been the same person, you know, the same personality, just steered a different way. Yeah, lots of great stuff here. Yeah, and I think that's part of it, because it's, you get the impression that Otto has built up in his mind what Peter's life was like. And when Peter shoves his actual life down Otto's throat at the end, and he realizes, oh, you've had a lot of misery here too, just like I had, you chose to do something with it. And realizing it's down to choices. And it's not about saying, well, I'm this way because of the world around me, recognizing that you have to be an active part of your own future. So that would be another good, deeper meaning is building who we are and building our future through the choices that we make in response to our circumstances, not because of our circumstances. Yeah. Yeah. It's rising to the occasion and taking responsibility for where you are and what you're doing. I mean, different people have different levels of advantage the day they're born. I mean, I will, I'm a white guy in Canada. I will never pretend that my life is as difficult as a black guy in the Southern United States has got to be right. There are obstacles that I'm not going to face because of the circumstances of my birth. But the majority of, of anyone's life is up to them. There's just some people who, because of their circumstances, would have to work harder at it. Right. That doesn't make it impossible. Right. Yeah, I think that's about it. I mean, there's not really any deeper meanings in the backups. And I think the Black Hat story, well, we talked about it a little bit. But yeah, I think that's about it. I think we can agree this belongs on the tournament because of the era it ushered in, as well as because it's just good to begin with. Yeah, it is. Right. Yeah. If anything, just going through the list, it could have been higher. But yeah, there's a few other things. There are some major Marvel events coming up on the list that I would not only debate should not be higher than this on the list, but should not be on the list. <laughs> we'll, we'll hear those conversations coming up later. So yeah, th- this definitely has a, a place on the list. And I would say you could start reading with 698 if you wanted to. You could start reading with 700. But at the very least, I would read 700. And just as I would say, you know, read Giant. With Giant Size X-Men number one, I said, read that as the launching point for a larger run. Don't read it in isolation. This is one I would say, read it in isolation if you want. By the time you put it down, you're going to want to pick up Superior. Yeah, you are. All right. So, John, thanks again for joining us. Yeah, happy to be here. Um, it's it's always fun, and I'll be back to talk about Spider-Man again soon. Uh, just just to put the, the tail end on what you just said, the first Superior Spider-Man volume does include the three issues of Amazing that, that finished up. So Dying Wish is definitely the first phase of Superior. So read it if you want. And then if you don't want more Superior, then hey, you know, whatever. But it's 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 a great as the beginning of that run. And yeah, this is this is always fun. This is a really, really 
great series that you're doing here. So thank you very much for having me on it. Oh, thank you for joining me. It's I'm been having a lot of fun going through it. So join us again next week when we're discussing, you know, countdown spot number 45, the astonishing X-Men run by Joss Whedon and John Cassidy. So that's astonishing X-Men volume two issues one through 24, as well as giant size, astonishing X-Men. Those issues have been collected in four volumes of trade paperback or hardcover, according to your preference, as well as an omnibus edition. And they're available through Marvel Digital Unlimited and through Comixology. All right. Yeah. So join us again next week for the Astonishing X-Men run. All right. And you can find the show and rate it on iTunes and Stitcher, as well as at Bureau42.com. You can find our forum on Facebook for the listeners to sit down and communicate with ideas. And that's where I'll be doing feedback, because these are being recorded as far in advance as humanly possible and very asynchronously. Because just the format of the show, it does need lead time. And, uh, yeah, join us next weekend. Thank you for listening. Okay, I'm going to do the promo now. Really? Finally. Okay, let's do the promo. What do you mean, let's do the promo? I'm the one who has to do it. Well, get on with it then. Okay, okay, here we go. Iron Man. The Incredible Hulk. The Mighty Thor. The... Captain America. Wow. Being dramatic there, aren't we? Do, do you think it's too much? Should I back off? No, 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 you're fine. You, you're good. Okay. You've seen the Earth's mightiest heroes in the Avengers franchise of films. Now you can enjoy the stories that have inspired those films through the magic of comic podcasting. Magic of podcasting? You sure about that one? Well, yeah, because, you know, we're awesome. Like, magic. Only without actually seeing any magical things. Just go with it, go with it, go with it. Okay. Don't forget to tell them what we're actually doing on the show. Oh, oh yeah, okay. So join Lily Wilson, the awesomest teenage comics fan in the world, Mm -hmm. as her father takes her through all the early comics that feature characters from the Avengers franchise of films. And some that aren't in those films yet, but will be. Because we started with the Ant-Man before he had a full film. Oh, well, yeah. And don't forget Spider-Man. He's not like the Avenger, but he's there. Oh, okay. So um, maybe it should be that feature characters that have been, are currently, or will one day be in the entire Marvel Cinematic Universe. Better. And where should they go not see this magical podcasty goodness? New episodes can be found... <coughs> do I have to do the voice? Yes, you do. Okay, okay. New episodes can be found at the Complete Marvel Reading Order website, cmro.travis-starns.com, and clicking under the Podcasts tab. Or on iTunes by searching Complete Marvel Reading Order, or just search for the name of the show itself. Um, Dad? Don't you think we should actually say the name of our show? Oh. Yeah! Avengers! Inspirations! Podcast! Listen and stuff. Yeah, good job, Dad. Thank you!